My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 137 (laughs) of Legally Clueless Podcast. Super, super happy to have you as part of the tribe. Make sure you join our online community. We have an Instagram page. That's Legally Clueless Podcast. A link to it is in the show notes. If you want to chit chat about the podcast on Twitter, just use the hashtag Legally Clueless. And what's the other thing? Oh, yeah. It's like, it's a major thing. How could I forget? There is a new episode on our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. There is a link to our YouTube channel in the show notes. And if you head over there, you will see a new episode that is Legally Clueless Tours Paris. Yes, (laughs) we did it. I'm super excited about that episode because one, we did like, like we went to Paris. Yo, that's exciting. In the the episode is so beautiful. It's, It's just so well done. And I'm not even tooting my own horn. I'm tooting the horn of the person who does all my video production, who is Roy, my very good friend. Honestly, when you see the video episodes, it really is, especially the tour ones, those are his creations. Like he writes the scripts and like tells me oh this would be a really good idea good theme and he did that for the Paris one and it's just so like the intro if you've watched a French film called Amélie you will completely understand the intro of this Legally Clueless Tours Paris episode which I thought was just it came out so well and then okay so in the episode we take you to various iconic places in Paris Eiffel Tower, Arc de Triomphe, Sacre Coeur, and it's 292 stairs, and so much more. And then we also get to chit-chat with Africans who are living in Paris. So an amazing Moroccan lady called Amina, who's doing fantastic work. She's in the episode. My long-lost buddy, oh my god, Lucille. Lucille Omundi, she's from Kenya, but living in Paris. And so we got to chit-chat with her, and that was just so beautiful. It's an absolutely amazing episode that I think you will really enjoy. So make sure you click the link in our show notes, check out our YouTube, watch the episode. Let me know what you think in the comments. Of course, subscribe and turn on notifications and all of that good YouTube stuff. All right. In this episode, I'm really excited about the story that you're going to hear. It's a story we recorded during the tour, which is why I'm excited. And it was recorded when we went to Mombasa. Now, I do have to tell you that this story does reference drug addiction, suicide and sexual assault very heavy stuff but ends on a happy note (laughs) and so these are themes that i know can be very triggering to some people so if you can't handle anything to do with either of those things you may want to sit this episode out yeah because because those those can be very triggering in fact from this point because i'm just about to play what you can expect from the story now the first time i had contact with drugs was around the age of 17 but hard drugs was 21. I wasn't feeling the way I was supposed to feel about my child. Even just holding him felt weird you know breastfeeding him I'd be like why is this tiny human attached to me? I found myself at Nyali Bridge with my son in my arms, ready to throw ourselves over. You want to find drugs? Find car wash people. I actually sat down for two good months and did research 
into different drugs and their effects so that I could choose the perfect drug for me. Cocaine seems to be the best choice. This is the fallacy about drugs. Do they help? For a minute. Then they make you feel worse. My money spending just skyrocketed. That is Mo's story that's coming up a little later in this episode. But before we get to it, first and foremost, I'm just so... (laughs) I really do apologize for the last 136 episodes if I have been yelling at you, if I've been sounding a bit louder than I should have. (laughs) This is how I'm meant to be be sounding. I'm... (sighs) watching more and more tutorials around my microphones and getting to understand them much much more two years in (laughs) oh my goodness but yeah um sorry about that (laughs) anywho moving along swiftly listen there's two things i want to share before we get into the song of the week and they're random but also they're not are they random yeah okay They're just things that I am genuinely thinking about in this moment. So the first thing is that I'm really happy. They're two very positive things, okay? Number one, I'm very happy that all the women in me in this moment are allowed to speak. And I'm listening to all of them. The one who enjoys a good time. The one who's super lovey-dovey and mushy. The one who's all about like politics and governance. The one who's all about podcasting and media. The one who's about her work. The goofy one. The one who's all about sex. I'm like I'm made up of so many women. And I think for most of my 20s, I was trying to be the right woman according to what society wanted and like a singular type of woman. And right now I'm just allowing all of them to thrive. And I don't feel the pressure to be only one of those women, you know, to be a particular way. I I just feel like in this moment right now, I know life changes so I'm really enjoying this moment because I don't know next week's episode I could be (laughs) singing a different tune but right now my feminine canvas is just like blank and anything goes which is a very liberating place to be in and the second thing is to do with feelings and emotions right I (laughs) it's such a good like I'm smiling like a Cheshire cat right now as I tell you because of how happy this is making me I'm not censoring or shaming myself for feeling whatever the feelings are it's always been my belief that you know it takes a lot of courage to feel and to allow yourself to feel and to acknowledge those feelings and to articulate those feelings and so I'm just at this point where I'm acknowledging my feelings and honoring myself for being courageous enough to feel recklessly it's not I'm not like manipulating my feelings into a thing or using them as a tool or like caging them or whatever I'm just like eh. <laughs> this is what I feel and it's 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 a really awesome place to be in yeah as I said enjoying the moment because I know life is up and down up and down and it could be different even just tomorrow who knows but in this moment those are the two things I'm feeling and I wanted to share them with you okay let's jump into the song of the week Ooh, which is a really cool song I randomly how did I find this song I feel like I heard it in a movie I think that's what happened because I I don't even know this artist but I think I heard it in a movie and I was like hmm I heard like yes I heard it in a movie can't remember which movie or series but it was like I had four lines and I was like "Ooh, I love those words what song is that and I found it and it's a song by Tyler Jane the name of the song is energy I really like it it's like a nice feel-good song for like a walk in the sun or a drive in the sun and it's oh in the morning it's a good song it's not a song you'll write poetry to (laughs) but it's it's a nice song and yeah check it out I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Let's jump into the story 
again, recorded during our August Legally Clueless tour, recorded in Mombasa, and it's all about Mo's journey overcoming drug addiction. Again, I have to give you a heads up that drug addiction obviously comes up in the story. So does suicide and themes around sexual violence and sexual assault. So if you cannot handle anything that touches on those, you might want to give this episode a pass. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless coming to you from the road. We partnered with African O Filter to take this podcast on tour to Nakuru, Kisumu, Mombasa and Nairobi, bringing you powerful and inspiring African stories. My name is Mo and I am from Mombasa, Kenya. The first time I had contact with drugs, not just hard drugs, but drugs itself, was around the age of 17, but hard drugs was 21. 17, I was in college, you know, experimenting. You go out, you have a beer, you go puke, and you're like, okay, this is not fun, so I don't want to do it anymore. So it didn't really stick with me. So I didn't become a party animal or anything like that. I was more into my books and my friends. But from then on, I just, you know, I was just a good girl. In general, I was a good girl. I was known to be a good girl. So at the age of 21, this was after I had my son at 18. Now, I didn't know, but I had really bad postpartum depression. All I knew was I wasn't feeling the way I was supposed to feel about my child. I would do everything I needed to do for him, you know, take care of him and make sure he had what he needed. But even just holding him felt weird, you know, breastfeeding him. I'd be like, why is this tiny human attached to me? So it just got worse and worse and worse. Then when I realized something was like really wrong, I got myself some help. I found a a psychiatrist and went to talk to them. They gave me some pills, antidepressants. So in my head, I was like, oh, problem sorted, you know? But the meds did nothing. Took them, nothing happened. Changed the psychiatrist, took more medication, nothing happened, and I'm getting worse and worse. Now I'm having thoughts of suicide. I'm having thoughts of getting rid of my child. It just kept on getting worse. But the thing that pushed me into doing drugs was um, a situation whereby I found myself at Nyali Bridge with my son in my arms, ready to throw ourselves over. If it hadn't been for my friend calling me at, at, at the exact moment I was about to cross the railing, literally, I wouldn't be here for this story. You know, she called me and I told her where we were at and I was crying and she just came, took us, took us to her place, calmed me down, talked to me until I felt much better, you know? But then the next day I was like, I've tried medication, it's not helping. I've tried therapy, it's not helping. How about these drugs that make people happy, you know? I see people smiling after smoking weed. There must be something there. (laughs) You can't be smiling for no reason. I didn't know where to find drugs, but I knew for sure. You want to find drugs? Find car wash people. You will always find someone who knows someone from car wash people. So I went to the nearest car wash where I was known, asked one of the guys, and he directed me to the nearest Kush dealer. So that's how I started smoking pot. And I 
moved pot for like six seven months before it stopped being enough and i <laughs> see now this is on hindsight this is where i say like i'm dumb god damn i'm dumb <laughs> but i actually sat down for two good months and did research into different drugs and their effects and everything you would expect from them so that i could choose the perfect drug for me literally <laughs> i'm psycho that is what i am <laughs> so did my research and i was like okay out of everything that i've read cocaine seems to be the best choice because online it tells you that cocaine doesn't have any physical withdrawals only psychological ones i thought i was smart enough to beat the system psychological i mean a bit of anxiety yeah that's nothing I can sort myself out i went to my kush dealer because again i knew if i wanted hard drugs you go to the nearest small drug dealer he'll take you to the bigger drug dealer so i went to my kush dealer told him what i wanted he hooked me up with a guy and that's how it started um at this point i had moved out of home i was living on my own with my son like in all honesty my life was perfect up to that point i was 21 22 i had just bought my first home i was living on my own with my son i had a maid i had everything i could want if i wanted to travel i could travel if i wanted to go into the mall and buy a cloth worth 40 g's i could afford it my life was literally perfect so no one would have ever guessed that mentally i wasn't okay that things were just getting worse and worse as every day passed by you know Yeah, so I hit it really really well. See, this is the fallacy about drugs. Do they help for a minute? Then they make you feel worse. But you see, they never tell you that when they sell it to you. They just tell you, "Oh, this is the good stuff. This will make you feel amazing." But once the drugs were off, you're back to the same position you were at before, feeling the same feelings you're feeling before. You now even feel worse because there's guilt and shame associated with it. But you can't stop because the only thing that makes you feel better is the same drug that makes you feel worse at the same time. For me, I don't think there was a specific aha moment really. It was more of a gradual series of things that kept on happening. First of all, I was I was in a Bible study group with a group of women who I considered my best friends in the whole world, you know. So they started noticing that as I was isolating myself from them. I mean, you can't just go and be sniffing coke in front of people, you know. something you hide especially being a woman you hide it even harder than a man would so i started isolating for them from them i had already isolated myself from my family because my son would come home from school i'd send him over to my mom's place but i'd stay at my place until he comes back at night just to sleep and the next day do the same thing so i'd go for months without seeing my mom and my dad and my family is very tiny we're literally a family of four you know so that was weird and then um from then on my money spending just skyrocketed and it just kept on getting worse so what i was doing at the time is um since i had stock that i had bought before i was just selling my stock slowly so my parents stock broker 
realized that my rate was getting out of control and he sort of snitched to my parents and my parents were not happy, you know. So I lied to them and told them I had a liver condition that was making me really sick and making me spend a lot of money. And because I had been such a good girl my entire life, they fell for it, you know. Mind you, by this point, I had lost 30 kilos. I was looking so sickly and so bad, you would believe that this is someone on their deathbed. So it was so easy for them to fall for that, that she has a liver condition, you know. So there was that. But then what really hit the roof for me was a specific day when I was at home and my son came home from school at, at his normal time, midday, and I didn't want to see him. I was, I was busy getting high in my bedroom, so I've locked the room. The maid has picked him up. He's eaten his lunch. But my kid is so smart, he always used to sense whenever I'm in the house. So he actually came and peeped under the door, saw my feet, and started calling my name. And I ignored him. I straight up ignored him. Pretended I couldn't hear him, that nothing was happening. And I think the guilt from that just popped in my head and was like, okay, no. We do many things, but we don't do that to our child, you know? So that for me was just it. I was like, okay, now I need to get some help. So the next day I started doing my research into rehabs to see what was out there. Um, this was actually just eight months into it. So this is the kicker. Mombasa has the biggest drug problem in Kenya, but it also has the fewest rehabs, especially for women. Literally, as we speak, they are the three rehabs for women in Mombasa that accept women in Mombasa only so at the time there was one that was accepting and um, i managed to talk to them about my situation and told them i couldn't do an inpatient program because i had a small one at home and i didn't want my people to find out so we worked out an outpatient system so what would happen was in the morning instead of going to work i would go to the rehab spend the day in the rehab and then in the evening my friends who were covering for me would come and pick me up come and spend the night with me to make sure I don't go out to score more drugs and just sort of guard me to make sure I'm not around any drugs, any paraphernalia or anything like that. And um, that worked for like three days until on the fourth day I lost my mind. I totally flipped, locked myself in my bedroom with my kid, refused to leave. Mind you, we were living on the fifth floor and I hadn't had an open balcony. So my friends got freaked out because they knew about my suicidal tendencies. So I remember it was my grandmother's funeral that day, and my dad was traveling up country with his family to go and bury my, my grandma. And my friends called my dad when he was somewhere in Jomvu, and he just about and came back, and I had to tell him the truth. And I was like, you know what, dad, the truth is, for the past couple of months, I haven't been sick, I've been using drugs. This is what has been happening. The shock on that man's face, eh? I think he, ne he nearly swallowed his tongue. He couldn't believe it. He could not believe it. So he managed to talk to my friends, who gave him um, the number to my therapist, and they convinced me to talk to the therapist who in turn convinced me to 
go into the rehab and stay there for a few days until I was more stable. I didn't know, but a few days was actually three months. I was pissed off when I found out, trust me. <laughs> I was pissed off. Cause I'm like, I started this process on my own. You guys are coming in the middle and then you're just ruining everything. Like, thankfully, two weeks after I had been locked in there, there was an inspection going on of rehabs in Kenya by Nakada and the rehab was that was found not up to code so i was given an option of being discharged to a hospital to my parents home or to my best friend's house i chose to go to my best friend's house so that's how i got out yeah but if it wasn't for that i was stuck there for three months and the place was hell not as bad as the ones you see in Isili, but hell in the sense of first of all there were no classes there was nothing to do there was no tv like literally your job was to sit and stare at the walls from morning till evening the only thing that was different was meal time you get called you go eat then you go back to staring at the wall um then at night they would lock us in like animals i have this major fear of what if a fire starts you've locked all the doors and they're metallic i can't even break them you know and we tried talk talking to them telling them that okay fine lock one door but leave the other one open so that someone has an opportunity to get out in case of anything but no, Apana, they can't do that. You have to be locked in like you're some type of crazy person. So that really pissed me off. In terms of how they treated us and whatnot, they basically just ignored us. They didn't try to help us. They didn't try to talk to us. It was, oh, you're a patient here. Okay. Go about your own business. So for me, it was a waste of time and money. Um, I stayed with my best friend for like a week before my withdrawals got really bad my emotional state was very unstable at that time so i went back home but i was having therapy sessions every day at this point and um after about a month and a half of therapy my doctor told me i was better i could go back to work now so i went back to work you know and things seemed to be working out really well and then around four months in i just recall sitting at my desk at work thinking i am bored i need something exciting to happen and the next thing i knew is i was on my phone scrolling for numbers i found the number i needed which i was supposed to have deleted but i never did called him up asked him if he had any stuff told me he did we met up and I was back to it again. But this time I didn't use for very long. I used for about four or five weeks. Then I outed myself because I was so scared of where would I would end up. So I called my therapist, I told her the truth and she helped me talk to my parents about it. They were really disappointed but they were supportive. And this time they took me to rehab in Nairobi. Uh, the rehab I went to was good and bad good as in really gisty place i mean food amazing rooms hotel room material how you're being treated like a king and queen all of that but in terms of their treatment practices it was a waste of my half a million my dear that money pains me up to today because <laughs> it could have done way better somewhere else but they really didn't have much of a program i didn't learn anything except that there was a in and a that's the only thing that 
I left knowing from that. Um, I came back home. This time I managed to stay sober for 11 months. Then I relapsed again. But then instead of telling my parents, because I knew I'd just end up in rehab, what I did is I came and I talked to a doctor here and convinced him that it's okay for me to just go for a detox. I can handle the, the recovery part on my own. And um, I went into hospital, I did a detox for a week, came out, stayed sober again for around six to eight months, I'm not sure, but around there. Relapsed again, convinced the doctor the same thing, went detoxed, like literally my life was a pattern of detox, 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 detox. Until two years in, I just realized that I'm not getting out of this cycle. I need to do something drastic. So a cousin of mine was leaving the country, going to Dubai for work. And um, I decided why not look for work myself, you know, just change my environment, see if, if something different would work for me. So I started looking for work while I was here and I was lucky I got a job, signed the contracts, moved to Abu Dhabi immediately. And um, it worked. I stayed sober while I was there for over a year and a half. And I mean, I was the happiest I've ever been. I had so much fun, clean fun, but so much. And I really enjoyed myself. When I came back to Kenya, the thought of drugs didn't even hit my head until I think about a year later, um, I had an incident where I was sexually assaulted and um, I, I couldn't handle it mentally. When I told my parents, they didn't believe me because the mistake I made, like most women, is I wanted to clean myself so bad after it happened. And that's exactly what I did. So I got rid of all the evidence. I went to the doctor and the doctor confirmed that yes, this has happened, but I didn't have the physical evidence on my body remaining, you know? So I couldn't follow it up and the cops wanted cash. I didn't have cash. My parents weren't willing to give me cash. So it just, everything got really messed up in my head. I started using, and this time I was using hard. I had already switched from coke to heroin from one of my last relapses. So this time I just went straight for the heroin. I didn't even start with the coke because coke is expensive. Heroin is cheaper and it gives you a longer high. So I immediately went to the heroin and I, I was spending around 8000 a day just to get enough overdose. It was, I think, one of the darkest periods of my life. I lost entire chunks of time that I can't remember what I did, who I was with, where I was, nothing. Entire chunks. Up to date, you ask me what happened between 2014, no, 2015 and 2017. I have no clue. <laughs> I, all I know is though I years. Yeah, that's all I know. By this point, my parents were tired of the, the cycle. I mean, we had done four rehabs up to that point, countless detoxes, changed doctors so many times, changed therapists. And you know, each time you change, you have hope. And then she relapses again, and the hope is torn apart. You have to start all over again. The one person who didn't give up, though, was my mom. And my mom, my mom is my rock star. My mom didn't give up. That woman fought for me. She fought for me. 
she gave me tough love but it was tough love accompanied by so much love that i i think about it i feel like crying honestly she talked to anyone she could find all the doctors she could talk to you know every therapist she could get her hands to on found out which rehabs were considered better than the other took me to different rehabs just to see if it would be a fit if it would help i ended up in rehab in uh, in diani i stayed there for 2 months once i realized it wasn't a fit for me so i left that place came back home i didn't use for a couple of weeks then started using again uh this time the using was accompanied with stealing cuz they tried to limit my access to cash so that i wouldn't have cash to use you know so and a junkie is a junkie you're going to find a way to get your fix one way or another so i was like if okay you're not going to pay me for the work i'm doing that's fine i'm going to pay myself so i would go take 50 g's from someone's wallet go spend that come back take another 20 g's kept on doing that my parents are complaining every day money is getting lost in the house no one is talking you know i know i know i'm done doing it but i'm not saying anything you know so i'm just getting worse and worse in terms of my behavior my mental status my emotional status until um we got to crisis point when i tried to forge a check from my mom's account and my intelligent self went to the exact same bank that knows my mother very well <laughs> with a forged check that was written badly and they told me that they would have to call her to confirm the check i told them okay just give me a minute let me go to the car and take something and then you can do that so apparently when i'm leaving this way anti fraud are coming in through the other way <laughs> so just literally um when i got back home in the evening they had already called her given her full description of how i looked like and then the worst part is that i had dreadlocks at the time with the tattoos and what not um i mean i can't hide anywhere so she's like it was you don't even lie it was you so i had to admit um i i ran away from home that night went and stayed with a cousin of mine and the next day i just told her that if she was serious she would, she was willing to pay for detox that i was willing to go back to detox so i went to a local detox this time i didn't want them to spend any money on me so i went to the cheapest detox i could find spent like a month there by then my my brother my little brother who has been so supportive as well had been looking into rehabs himself and he found one that seemed to approach addiction from both a medical as well as a psychotherapeutic view because my problem is i have a mental illness in addition to addiction i have um this disorder called schizoaffective so it's basically a mood disorder combined with schizophrenia so i see things i hear things that are not there as well as my body cannot com- cannot control my mood so one minute i can be manic totally over the moon i have found myself in hotel rooms naked with men i don't know how i ended up there that's me in mania or i can be depressive i'm at nyali bridge thinking how i'll throw myself over there or how i'll jump in front of a car and be hit so i never know each day is different for me 
So I needed a multifaceted approach, somewhere whereby they could give me the medication I needed for my mental illness, as well as handle the, the psychotherapy I needed for my addiction. And um, we managed to find a rehab that was perfect in that, in Nairobi, called The Retreat. And that's where I went. And it, it honestly changed my life, you know? Because for once I was forced to face what I had been running away from. Everything that I had been running away from, I had to sit down and be like, okay, this is reality, this is what I have to deal with. Nothing is going to change unless I deal with it. And that's where the change, I believe, started. It wasn't easy because, mind you, the day I got out of rehab, I got high the same day. The exact same day. Despite this change that had happened inside me, <laughs> you know, I still, the, the urge was still so strong. But the spark had been lit within me. For once, I wanted to live, you know. It was no longer about whatever happens, happens. I now cared, and it made all the difference. So the last time I used was about two years ago. I, I, I normally don't count my days, because for me that feels a bit morbid. It's like I'm counting down to my death, don't want to do that. <laughs> well, physically, um, I'm now more prone to having seizures, like uh, I can't, my body can't process pain anymore the way it used to. So now anytime I get intense pain, I immediately go into a seizure. And that didn't used to happen before the drugs. So we suspect that's because of the drugs. Um, in addition to that, some of my medication, the dosages had to be adjusted because of the damage the drugs had done to my brain. You know, so that's just on the physical side. Uh, emotionally and spiritually, I became completely bankrupt. So that's something I've had to rebuild from the bottom upwards. Um, I stopped talking to my God. I actually hated God. I couldn't connect because before the drugs, I was a committed Christian. So all that used to go on in my head was, I did everything right, and you still brought me this? Like, this is the best you could do? For me, I'm not going to worship you. Like, if you're that type of God, I don't need you. So I had to rebuild my tr trust and my faith in God all over again. It's still a process. I mean, there's still days where I don't want to trust him, but every day is better. Every day is better. Um, I destroyed 99% of my relationships, and they're those I can't get back. So I've had to make my peace with that. But the ones that are still there, the ones that are stuck through with me, my ride or dies, those are my people. Those, those are my people. I think it's a combination of a few different things that I do. Uh, first of all, like you can see I'm wearing these beads. Perfect for snapping. So whenever the thought of, oh man, I could use a line right now, I start snapping, you know, and my mind automatically focuses on that. So it takes me out of that intense urge into a more, more wave-like urge, you know, something I can ride through. And then um, I journal a lot, so that really helps. So 
I always carry a book in my bag. Whenever the thought comes in, I'm just like until I've gotten rid of all the the junk I'm feeling inside. But most importantly is I talk now. Before I never used to talk. I would keep all my problems bottled inside. Now I'm the first person to call like if I feel a, I, I if I feel my cravings are about to get out of control, I will call whoever, whenever, however. I have called my doctor at three in the morning and I told her, you know what, I'm sorry, but I don't care. You're going to listen because I'm about to go score and I'm not going to ruin my life. So if it means you're going to take 20 minutes out of your life, out of your sleep, you will take those bloody 20 minutes, but you will listen. <laughs> so I talk and the talking really, really helps. I, I don't know if you'd call it a mantra, but how I view life now is more of what will be, will be. All I can do is just hang on, just that. That's how I live my life now. Because I realized I try to control so many things and when I'm unable to control them, I get depressed about them and that just brings me back to the drugs. So what will be, will be. I'm just here for the ride. A hundred African stories. The Legally Clueless 2021 tour powered by African No Filter. We're traveling through Kisumu, Nakuru, Mombasa, and Nairobi, bringing you real, raw, and inspiring African stories. I am so grateful for how courageous Mo is and was with us. You know, reaching out, wanting to share this story, and then actually sharing it. She is one of those people who I'll never forget for as long as I live. We had a few candid moments after she recorded the story, and I just, yeah, her personality is just one that I'll, I'll never forget her. Not for as long as I live. I just feel so inspired by her resilience. And I'm very drawn to people who have like unlocked that power when it comes to owning your story. And yeah, more. Hey, I'll, I, I, just, I don't think I'll ever forget her. So remember, if you want to share your story on this podcast in the show notes, there's a link to a Google form. Fill it out and I will get back to you. It might take me some time to get back to you, but don't worry. I will get back to you. I'm letting you sit in your story and really think about whether you want to share it or not. Okay. Another thing that you can do as you listen to this podcast, as you are very much part of this tribe, if you hear something in any of the episodes that you connect with or resonates with you or you, you have some thoughts about it, just record a voice note and send that to the Legally Clueless hotline, which is also in the show notes. I was going through the hotline and I stumbled on this particular voice note that came all the way from Lesotho. Hi Adele. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy that I came across your podcast. Oh my goodness, it is so good. And I was listening to episode 135 as well as Ethnes' story. In as much as it's not all the time you'll completely relate to the story, but even then, like there's a form of inspiration that comes with it. It was so encouraging for me, honestly. And oh my god, I literally downloaded all of your episodes from I don't know when and I just it's just been a blessing it's just been great listening to your podcast i'm just gonna recommend it to everybody i am from lesotho a country called lesotho inside south africa but yeah thank you so much for this podcast it is so wild oh my god i just find it so wild that what we have here 
is a space where not just Kenyans, not just Nairobians, because that's where I'm based. It's just so wild that people from different countries, Africans from different countries can connect with this podcast. Humans from different countries can connect with this podcast. It's, hey, it's wild. (laughs) And I'm just... It's wild, it's magical, and it makes me feel so warm and fuzzy inside. And and I'm just so full of gratitude that you would even take the time to record a voice note and send that in, to refer your friends and people in your circles to this podcast. Like, that's just, whew, I'm so thankful. I'm just so thankful. So, yeah, if, if you connect with something on this pod, I am all ears. Hit me up on the Legally Clueless hotline. The number is in the show notes. Oh, but there's some people who are listening on platforms that do not have show notes. That is not shade. <laughs> it's just facts. See you because I've not memorized the number. Let me pull it. Oh, wait. I have it. Okay, so the hotline is plus 254-768-628-790. So you can record a voice note and just send it through WhatsApp to that number. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, which is Legally Clueless. And you will see there's a brand new episode about Legally Clueless touring Paris that is fantastic. And I really think that you need to check it out. And lastly, if you are in Kenya, this podcast plays on Trace Radio every month. Monday and Wednesday at 12 noon and 11 p.m. and every Friday at 12 noon. Head over to traceradio.co.ke for a list of all the frequencies and you can also stream Trace there. All right, I need to head out. I am going to hang out with my nieces and nephew. (laughs) I actually don't think I told you. I don't know if I told you that I got a niece another niece and a nephew i think i also didn't tell you because that did i tell you i can't remember because that particular sister is very not out there like she's she doesn't she doesn't put out her stuff out there much like i feel like amanda doesn't like even social media it's 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 minimal use minimal minimal use yeah so i just wanted to honor that but yeah i have a niece and a nephew another niece and a nephew Oh my God, y'all, it's so crazy. I can't walk into a mall without buying something for them. Like even stuff that is unnecessary. Earlier this week, I bought my first niece, Bernadette. I bought her a pair of shades. Like I know she's going to break them. (laughs) They're probably broken right after I gave them to her. But like, I was just like, whatever. It was five minutes of fun. It's worth it. You know, (sighs) being an aunt is just, it's so beautiful. I love those kids so much. Yeah, so I have to wrap up because (laughs) I got lost in thinking about them. Um, So I'm going to hang out with them. And so, yeah, thanks for listening to this episode to the very end. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.